That's great. And uh, okay, cool. we are uh, recording now. This is Julia. I'm with Derek. We're uh, waiting for other people to join, perhaps. Otherwise, uh, I am at episode 27 of Three Body. Have you seen it? Okay, cool. No, I think I'm on like 25. Oh, uh, I had uh, stopped for a few days. So. But now I think I have only three episodes to go. And uh, so far, it seems good. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. How do you like it so far? Um, I mean, it's the first, like, Chinese-made, like, TV series I've watched. And, yeah, it's it's awesome. I love it. Um, and I was really surprised that the budget is, like, $10 million. Is it? And... I think so. I think it's $10 million. That's what I heard. Um, I, thought, um, from, mm-hmm. I thought it was more than that. Yeah, we can check about that. But um, at least that's what I heard from like one YouTuber. So that might not be right. But um, yeah, if that is right, though, that's like one Game of Thrones episode. So and it's like, what, 30 episodes? The whole 30 episodes, $10 million. That's um, I think so. Good. Well, uh, Mm, I think they have used the money saving tricks. Uh, for example, they do repeat many scenes from from uh, previous episodes. They also use uh, some stock scenes that they repeat all the time. So I can see that they are um, saving money somehow. But I mm-hmm. think uh, I think the result is good enough. But it's not oh definitely. Material. But uh, it's uh, solid, professional, and uh, good. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, just uh, the way it's filmed, it looks very nice. I think in general, the characters are like, mm, yeah, I mean, the actors are like great, I think. And yeah, follows in line with the book. And a lot of the dialogue is like, you know, same as the book. So that's really cool. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Uh, I had seen that someone was joining, but and uh, disappeared. Once then, yeah, somebody has entered the waiting room. Yeah, I'm uh, just wondering how they will uh, do the second and the third book. Hmm. Yeah, I read um, like the Dark Forest, and it was pretty great. Haven't you started uh, Death's uh, End? Yes. Death's End? I haven't started yet. I like had a cold for a little bit, so I just couldn't like read during that time. I just had headache and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's next on my list for sure. The second and third book, if they do season two and season three, they're going to require a lot of special effects at least. Yeah. So the oh well, as a matter of fact, also the last three episodes that I haven't seen yet, uh, and they cannot do that without some good special effects. I look forward very much right. to see how that works because we haven't started yet with the solvents, uh, yeah. the um, hyperdimensional manipulation of things. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I really wonder how. I really wonder how we'll do. There we go. Okay. Looks like someone dropped out. I think. Uh, no, someone is trying to come in, but for uh, some reasons they don't manage to. Mm, yeah. That's uh, already the second or third time it happens. But well, it kind of depends on one's uh, familiarity with Zoom, the computers, the Wi-Fi connection, and so yeah. on. But okay, uh, going back to body I'm quite happy with season one and I very much look forward oh, to season two and three. Mm-hmm. Still, of course. Yeah. Yeah. What else comes to your mind and seeing um, the show so far? Oh yeah. Um I don't know like if I have much to say about the show right now, um, but reading Death's End and I don't want to like, um, I mean, Dark Force, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, this whole idea of maybe the universe being like a Dark Forest kind of uh, like metaphor, it's um, very eerie. Um, yeah. Is it interesting as a narrative, uh, makes for an interesting story. I don't really take it that seriously myself. Hmm. Okay. I mean, it's a possibility. So, Why not? But I do hope that uh, the universe is not such a dark place. Right. And such like paranoid and, you know, dangerous place as well. Or that, you know, people would be afraid of uh, other civilizations like that. Yeah. yeah it, comes down, uh, it comes down to game theory, I guess. I mean, you have to at least consider the possibility that uh, any alien civilization can be hostile. But I think assuming automatically that an alien civilization must be hostile, I think is a bit too much. Right. You don't live in a universe like that. And if you think of it from a game theory perspective, you also have to consider all the benefits that could come from contact with a benevolent or at least not hostile alien civilization. And you know, there is no such thing as life without risks. Right. Whenever you go yeah. in the street, you take <laughs> a risk. Yeah. You can get hit by a bus, a lot of bad things can happen. So you think, okay, let me stay home. But the thing is that uh, you are at risk also at home. How many yes. people? Uh, how many people sleep in the bathroom and died? Right. Yeah. So are we like recording now for the podcast? Uh... Yes, we are. I think I'm going to put only okay. the audio online because uh, I knew it's a with the iPad. I was telling you it's much more comfortable for me. And uh, it's good to see how good the recording comes mm-hmm. using the iPad. But, uh, you know, I put the video on when uh, um, we discuss specific things with the guests, uh, with the title, the discussion thing. But now mm-hmm. I think I'm just going to put uh, the audio up. Cool, cool. Yeah, so 
like um, this idea of the universe being like a dark forest, like in the book, um, the dark forest uh, in the three body like book series, there's this idea that the universe may be like a forest full of hunters uh, and they all have guns and, you know, they're kind of afraid to make a shot because there might be other hunters in the forest that could, you know, harm them or shoot back at them. And so they feel like it's dangerous to even alert anyone else of their position. So I thought that was a very interesting metaphor for making like contact with other civilizations. Yes, civilizations. but um, again, uh, I like to be more, op more uh, optimistic than that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, everything is a risk. There is no such thing as a risk entirely, risk-free life. So that, okay, well, the cosmos is a big place. There, is, there are going to be good things. There are going to be bad things. There's going to be all the kind of uh, possible scenarios that uh, we can imagine. So that uh, I'm not worried. I say, let's just go to the stars. Let's do all the beautiful things that we want to do and uh, enjoy the ride. So I think now that uh, Capsicum has joined, can you just confirm that you're hearing us? Yep. Yes. Yeah, I guess you are on a bad internet connection, perhaps. Yes. You confirm that you are on a bad internet connection. Yes, I confirm. Because uh, I hear you broken sometimes. Huh? Uh, I think there is also another person who wanted uh, to show. Let me check. No, there's just the three of us now. Uh, Capsicum, uh, can I also say your name or you prefer to stay like uh, Capsicum or do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, no, I. I say you, you you can say my name. It is just because I have this name. I better use the same name. But uh, but you you also have my name on YouTube, right. so it's Enough. no problem. Great. So you are uh, Thomas, and uh, I want to yeah. thank you for uh, yes. reading online uh, some chapters of my book. How many did you read so far? Like three or four, I guess. I... Yeah, I, I, I made three, three recordings, but I, but I, I read of the book for myself. I read more. It, it is, it is just hard for me to read in public but, but i'm i'm training yeah i guess for background uh thomas has been reading some uh, chapters from my book uh, tales of the Turing church they are on mm -hmm. his uh youtube channel mm -hmm. and uh, oh, thank oh. you very much for that it's good uh, to hear these things instead of just reading them. Um, I am one of those who likes reading very much and uh, 
I really prefer reading to listening. When there is a book, I prefer to go through the book, go back to the previous page, uh, sever the book and all that. So I don't really need audiobooks, but I understand that uh, many people uh, prefer listening to audiobooks. And that kind of content is ideal for them. I'm very much of a reader myself, but I do understand it. Oh, by the way, about uh, my first book, there is uh, a Spanish translation ongoing. Cool. A writer based in Mexico is uh, translating the whole book and uh, she's doing... Uh, She's doing, she's doing really an excellent work. She's an artist and a poet with a lot of uh, sensibility for uh, writing and work pictures, uh, mental image and all that. I think she has translated like 15% uh, of the book and I guess uh, the full translation uh, will be ready by summertime, she says July. Well, we know that uh, things are never done as fast as one hopes. So that uh, I think it's safe to say that before the end of the year, there will be a Spanish translation of Tales of the Children Church. Mm, I do speak Spanish pretty well, so I could... Uh, I've uh, translated myself, but one uh, doesn't have time to do all things that one would like to do, of course. Yeah. Nice. That's have, exciting. Have you read my book, Derek? Um, I've read um, parts of your books like a while ago, um, but I have them like ready in my Kindle. And uh, I, I started reading, um, what is it, Futurist... Uh, no, space space flight meditations. Futurist, yeah. uh, futurist, space flight meditation. That's my second. Yeah, right, right. Thank you. Yeah, so I started reading that uh, like recently. So I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, I look um, forward to writing a second edition of that in a few years after nice. uh, uh, after. Uh, the moon landing mm -hmm. that uh, we have been promised. They say 2025. Uh, I'm afraid I don't believe that. 2026, mm. 2027. Mm, I think that's more reasonable. And I'm very optimistic that we What is by this time? Uh, I not hear. Say again? Uh, what is by 2026? The next landing on the moon. You know, Artemis Man. 3. Artemis 3 is supposed to land two US astronauts on the moon mm -hmm. sometimes in this decade. They say 2025, but I think it's more likely to be delayed by one or two years at least. But I'm quite confident that we will see people walking on the moon before the end of this decade, especially because even if uh, 
these uh, new moonwalking astronauts are not Americans. It seems that yeah. uh, the Chinese are going to. I was just reading a couple of days ago that uh, China is preparing a moon lander, something like yeah. uh, Blue Origins, uh, Blue Moon. And uh, they plan <coughs> to land the Chinese astronauts on the moon within this decade. Uh, I don't know who will get there first, the Americans or the Chinese. And honestly speaking, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I'm I not American. I'm not American and I'm not Chinese. Yeah, of course. So why, so why should I? <laughs> as simple as that. Yeah. I just want uh, right. to see uh, humans walking on the moon soon. Mm -hmm. And so I think some competition will be good for both. Yeah. Yeah, you know, a couple, just a couple of years ago, when uh, there was the last uh, change in the U.S. Uh, administration, I was hundred percent sure that uh, the new administration would uh, cancel the Artemis program. Why? Because mm -hmm. that's what uh, usually happens in the U.S. A new administration right. comes in, and uh, they have. Uh, to make a political gesture by eliminating yeah. something done by the previous yeah. administration. Yeah. And since, unfortunately, space is not very important, it is the space uh, programs that are eliminated first. So I was very favorably and uh, very positively surprised seeing that uh, not only the Biden administration has not canceled the Artemis program, but also the Artemis one flight around the moon mm -hmm. has uh, followed schedule and being a success. So that, uh, I mean, I'm quite optimistic that the US will not abandon the Artemis program. Now, will they get to the moon before the Chinese? I think that's an open question. I very much look forward to seeing who is first. But again, I don't really care that much. Important mm -hmm. thing is that human beings restart walking on the moon. Yeah, I read that like recently in Futurist Spaceflight Meditations. Um, yeah, so that's very interesting. Like you talk about this kind of like red moon. Um, and I, yeah, I think I also read an article that said that Maybe China will try to land on the moon by 2029 or something like that. Um, something like that. They're never very explicit like that. about these things. They don't announce things before actually doing them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for all we know, they could uh, uh, suddenly, out of the mm -hmm. blue, announce yeah. maybe next year, maybe the year after that, that, uh, oh, 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 well, you know, we landed yesterday on the moon. Yeah, that'd be really cool, actually. Yeah, of course, that wouldn't happen because, you know, uh, somebody would see, somebody would see something. Yeah. But they yeah. could announce, okay, we're going to, land, to launch astronauts to the moon next month. They could do that anytime. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. I look very much forward to that. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, China has... Uh, always been a very distant place for us. Not for you, perhaps, because you live uh, in that region of the world. 
Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I have not been to China. I don't speak Chinese, and one uh, doesn't really know much about China. Uh, now, since uh, um, I talk about uh, China a lot in futurist spaceflight meditations, so that I wanted to educate myself about China. I read a, I read a lot of Chinese literature in translation because I don't understand Chinese. Mm-hmm. But uh, some uh, Chinese literature is really first class. And reading it, you realize, okay, they speak another language, they eat other things and all that, but they are uh, just uh, humans. They are just uh, people like us. And uh, I could manage to feel much closer to the Chinese and uh, also reading Chinese science fiction, of course. So that's a way to make peace with the idea that perhaps uh, while in the last century, it was the US that uh, pushed towards space. In this century, it may be China that uh, takes the lead. And again, it's useful to know something about uh, Chinese uh, culture and literature to realize that uh, Oh, of course, we would like to be. We would like to be in a leadership position ourselves, but uh, if it has to be that China takes the lead, why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that, and that's really interesting because um, I remember I, I read on Turing Church a while ago, before the Artemis One launch, and you talked about I think how you. Um, pretty much support NASA in doing these endeavors with the Artemis-like uh, missions. And actually, I was really surprised at that time to like um, read that, that you wrote that, because um, many people talk about how like um, maybe the government is wasting money or something like that, or that SpaceX could do it better. And um, I felt like when I read your writing, I felt like you were like, it's good that we be enthusiastic about it. It's good that we support NASA and have like some morale about it. So I didn't exactly like agree with that for a while. Um, but then maybe three months later, I was like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, it is good. I think because uh, NASA has uh, long tradition and history. And I think it is good for the morale of the world, even if it is expensive oh, yeah, and stuff and has its problems. Uh, I think you are referring to an article that I wrote for Space News, and uh, the title was something like uh, SpaceX fans should uh, stand behind NASA and support Artemis. It was something like that. I also received a lot of uh, criticism for that article. But, uh, you know, I do think I'm right, and I'm a I'm a fan of SpaceX myself. I am, uh, I believe, uh, one of the biggest fans uh, that Elon Musk has on the planet right now. Let me, let me see, let me see that, uh, let me see that again. We have a SpaceX market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thermos, SpaceX Thermos ah, here. Yeah. Ah, that's a lovely one. That's missing for my uh, SpaceX merchandise collection. I'm a big fan of SpaceX. Awesome. And uh, I agree that, uh, you know, the current uh, design 
of uh, the Artemis program of NASA hmm. doesn't seem as uh, cost effective as it should be, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And yes, I do believe that uh, SpaceX could do the Artemis, the full Artemis uh, program entirely on its own with much less money. Right. That's also the thesis that the former uh, NASA leader, Lori Gardner, writes in her last book. Mm, but you know, the thing is that uh, from a engineering point of view, from a technical point of view, yes. I think SpaceX could be, perhaps should be, entirely in charge of Artemis. They can do it. But, uh, yeah. you know, technology is not the only factor. And in fact, we are all waiting for the first orbital launch of Starship that had been uh, promised for December and then January, then February. Now they say, well, maybe they launch it this month. But the thing is that uh, SpaceX has not yet received the launch authorization from the FAA. Oh, wow. Uh, What does that mean? Mm. I I don't know, but... Uh, They're assuming that they will, of course. I'm pretty sure that uh, it does uh, indicate some kind of, uh, perhaps not hostility, but some kind of at least mixed feelings in the U.S. administration Mm. about Elon Musk. Things that Mm -hmm. they hear, SpaceX and Starship, and uh, how cool is Elon Musk, but they would like the program, the return to the moon, continue under the leadership of uh, the political administration and NASA. And they don't want anyone else still the show yet. Now, as a matter of fact, if the government so wants, they can delay the launch authorization for Starship forever. They can delay it not only one month, but also one year. Uh, the thing is that they do have the political power. And uh, they seem willing to use it at this moment. And I read it as uh, a very clear indication that Elon Musk cannot do it alone without NASA yet. Right. And uh, he will not be able to do it alone as long as uh, he remains uh, based in the United States. So I mean, think is that uh, is a fact. You don't, uh, you don't uh, argue with facts. And the fact that it needs the support of the government is a fact. So that uh, Artemis can only continue is a partnership between SpaceX and other uh, private uh, companies and the U.S. administration is a fact. And we have to live mm-hmm. with that. Now, since I do want to see the program through, I can only hope that uh, this uh, partnership, this collaboration, I can only hope that it will uh, proceed as smoothly as possible. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, because SpaceX does have the con- the contract, right, for the moon landing, actually yes. for the lander. I think so, right? Yeah, the lander would be a modified version of Starship. Right, yeah. So essentially just um, the United States government and NASA want to get there first and, you know, plant the flag on the moon again and yeah, have the moment. Believe, I mean, uh, what happens uh, if uh, Artemis 3, the mission that will land astronauts on the moon, is uh, successful? Mm-hmm. Uh, it will uh, mean that uh, the Artemis uh, program will continue. But it will also mean that uh, SpaceX and uh, the space hardware of SpaceX is already a part of Artemis. So that, uh, I hope, at some point, maybe within the Artemis uh, program or maybe within the successor of Artemis, somebody will say, okay, now this is already good, solid and proven technology. Let's see what happens if we use Starship also for launching the mission from the Earth. If that happens, they will see that uh, it's uh, a very cost-effective way to launch things to the moon, much more cost-effective than the space launch system. And so very gradually, without drama, without any Mm -hmm. political decisions, as a matter of fact, it would happen that uh, SpaceX uh, gradually also becomes the favorite launch uh, provider for uh, NASA's moon mission. And that, I think, would be the outcome that everyone wants to see. Now, my message to SpaceX fans is that, okay, I think this is very likely to happen. And if the program continues smoothly, with uh, some goodwill from both sides, then uh, what will happen is that de facto SpaceX will take the lead. So that don't complain yet. Okay, NASA is wasting a little bit of money, but uh, is it uh, the only or the first government agency to waste money? I don't think so. (laughs) It is not the first and will not be the last. And everyone can uh, name situations in which the government has been wasting much more money than uh, the entire Artemis program. So maybe, uh, yes, let's complain about government waste. Yes, but not in this context. This context is too important. It is too important, I believe, that we get started again, and I hope uh, permanently this time, on the road to becoming a multiplanetary civilization. That's too important, I believe. Yeah, I don't think it's like NASA versus SpaceX. I mean, arguably there wouldn't be a SpaceX without the support of NASA because, you know, SpaceX like received the contracts, right? From the government, like to take astronauts to ISS, if I'm correct and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it seems that, you know, um, Elon Musk, like, follows regulations and, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it seems very fair. I think it'll go well. Yeah. 
SpaceX uh, exactly is a contract for uh, the last final part of the Artemis 3 mission, which is mm. to take uh, the astronauts from whatever platform they have used to get from the Earth to lunar orbit, to get them from lunar orbit to the moon, which mm -hmm. seems uh, quite an overkill and quite an overuse for uh, Starship's capability, sorry, not overuse, underuse, but it's a way to get Starship in the program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think it, like what you're saying, I don't know, it's kind of giving me some ideas that, you know, USA, maybe, you know, NASA, maybe the first like kind of kind, I don't know if you can say country, whatever, government sponsored uh, mission to get to the moon and uh, SpaceX will aid them in doing that, um, you know, or to land on the moon. And, but then in the future, like SpaceX can like, aid and do like um certain like contracts and collaborate with uh, um you know internationally with a bunch of nations and uh, i think that's a good future um but there are certain like geopolitical like issues to consider you know whether usa gets there first or china gets there first and what that means for like the global sentiment global public sentiment i mean if usa gets there first or if china gets there first you know uh, people feel that there could be some, you know, substantial, like, enthusiastic difference of who plants their flag in the moon again first, um, which is interesting. I think reasonable people probably won't care so much, like you said, you know, because, you know, we're all humans, right? So whoever gets there first, it's all cool. But others may have a different perspective on it and it may be relevant to a certain degree, right? Uh, yes, and that's also good because if others have different perspective, then they will do their best to get uh, their country there first. Uh, we Europeans, we cannot do much. We can just be spectators. But, uh, you know, if... Uh, a U.S. politician really wants the U.S. to be first, they can do something, especially if they are a top politician. If a powerful figure in the Chinese Communist Party really wants China to be first, they also can accelerate the Chinese program. So the fact that uh, some uh, actors in uh, the game are very committed to a nationalist perspective. I think it's good because the competition mm -hmm. can only accelerate both sides. And since I really don't give a damn about whether it's the US or China first, then I hope there will be as much competition as possible so that, uh, I mean, the first one will get there sooner. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you wrote, or maybe you said in one of your, um, I don't know, it's a video I watched of you, that like, what if Elon Musk like moved SpaceX operations to China? And that's the first time I actually like read that before. So that's very interesting. 
Well, it sounds, uh, it sounds like a joke, right? And uh, it is half a joke. But uh, if one takes the time to consider it, first, I think the Chinese would welcome him with open arms. Because mm-hmm. he has uh, already developed technologies, infrastructure, uh, engineering know-how, and all that uh, to do what they want to do. Now, uh, you can read uh, on the trade press that the Chinese also want to develop uh, reusable rockets. They basically want to create uh, Chinese equivalents of SpaceX. Yeah. So that I'm sure they would welcome him with open arms. I'm sure uh, they will uh, be very open to him using Chinese facilities and also uh, infrastructure and uh, finance, uh, engineers and all that. Since uh, uh, China is not really a communist country that is as capitalist, and perhaps even more savagely capitalist than the rest of the world, he wouldn't have uh, any problems in continuing uh, to make money there. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of Chinese billionaires in the internet business, crypto business, uh, e-commerce, all sorts of businesses. Now they are getting on board artificial intelligence too. So that uh, I think if Elon Musk were to move to China, There will be one thing that he cannot do, and that would be to openly oppose the Chinese government. He -hmm. would have to follow orders, but uh, also in the US, he has to follow orders. Mm -hmm. You you don't get the launch authorization for Starship unless, and who knows what Mm -hmm. that unless is. So that, uh, yes, I said it as half a joke, but only half a joke. Sometimes I think it would be a good idea. Or maybe not move to China, but move to some places like Luxembourg or uh, United Arab Emirates that are uh, trying uh, to uh, create uh, space hubs for all sorts of space companies with a favorable um, legal and regulatory environment for space company to set up business there. Mm-hmm. You know, the US yeah. is great. I love the US, but uh, the world is bigger than the US. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. What do you think of uh, all these things, Thomas? You're being silent. I don't know, I'm just listening. I, Great. Yeah. But before I want Whenever to you say, want to say something, just interrupt us and say. Um about you spoke about Chinese literature and a lot is translated to Esperanto and I can read this quite well. So if I wanted to, I could uh, could read many, many Chinese books which are not translated to English 
or or German or ah that's cool. Unfortunately, I don't read Esperanto. Yeah. You're not learning also Chinese, Tom, are you? Uh, no, uh, I had a, a course a few years ago, but I don't know so much, that much. <laughs> it would be an interesting language to learn. Now, one thing is sure, if I were younger, like uh, 20 years old or so, I would want to learn Chinese. Definitely, yeah. and very much. I'm currently learning Italian and um, a few hours a day. But, but just because I need it. Can you already speak Italian? Very little, it would be embarrassing to try. Yes, I, do, yes uh, do try, please. Say something to me in Italian. No, no, it's okay, Cosa. Well, that, uh, that is already something. Uh, that means I don't know what, but uh, that's already something, isn't it? See? And, uh, but um, you have a quite good accent, I think. Yes, it's because I'm I'm reading very much. What are you reading? Uh, currently, well, the ah, the title is a bit long. La scienza in cucina e l'arte di mangiare bene. It's a cookbook. Yes. And, oh, that's good. and I'm I'm reading seated. Uh, the the title is English, but the book is Italian. And what's the title? City. City. Yes, like like Chita. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, I um. I'm not, I'm I think not it's called Parico. Ah, yeah, the name is familiar to me, but I don't know the, I haven't read the book yet. You're also reading uh, standard, uh, traditional Italian literature. I don't know, Manzoni or these kind of things. Not yet. I I have, I have, I have um, Il Principe here, but have not started to read it yet. Yeah, but also that is written in very old Italian. Uh, it would be, I mean, the language is quite different from the language people speak in the street uh, today. I... For for any language, I'm most interested in what they used in the 18th century, mm -hmm. and I I saw that 
grammar books from that time always have early instead of Louis, they, they yeah. don't even have Louis. Yeah. Which uh, sounds uh, quite uh, old fashioned for uh, speakers of modern Italian. How many, That's how really many, cool. How many languages do you speak? Uh, I'm not sure I should have. Uh, I, I understand about 25 languages quite well, but um, 25. It is only a handful of which I, I can have a simple conversation, nice but sense. it is for, for uh, reading books. Uh, it may be enough for all of them. Oh, that's interesting. I speak uh, five languages fluently and like uh, four a bit less fluently, but nothing near 25. I had to learn many languages before realizing that I don't have any talent for languages at all. My wife uh, is much better than me in that respect. And uh, I think I speak all languages, including my own, with an accent. <laughs> nice, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for me, um, of course, English. And then I lived in Korea in the past, in South Korea in the past. So... I can understand a bit, but I pretty much like lost the speaking ability. And then I lived in Russia for a bit, but uh, I just never truly like really uh, got a hold of that. Um, but Russian, yeah. uh, I think Russian is a beautiful language. Oh, it is definitely. Yeah, it has its charm for sure. And it has its sophistication. Yeah. I would like very much to be able to read the, the masterpieces of Russian literature without having to rely on translations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, my wife is Russian, uh, so I'm kind of wondering like what she thinks about cosmism. And isn't that, uh, is it Nikolai Fedorov or Nikolai someone Fedorov. else? Right, so I'm quite curious what she actually like thinks about this, if she gets into it and reads about it in Russian. I think that could be right. fascinating. Yeah. Uh, there is this, but I mean, of, um, I'm not sure whether there is any recent work in Russia about cosmos, but I'm sure that must be. Otherwise, the only words that I know in English are by Canadian professor called George Young. He has written what uh, a book titled uh, The Russian Cosmists which is kind of the most uh, frequently cited uh, book in uh, academy these days about cosmism. And then there is one written by um, 
someone half Russian and half American, name is Anya Bernstein, uh, who uh, describes uh, the modern scene of Russian cosmism, also noting uh, relations with uh, Russian transhumanist and cryonics movement. That's also a very good book, but I'm sure there must be something in Russian because the original works by Nikolai Fyodorov and other people of uh, more than 100 years ago are difficult to read, at least the translations that I have seen. Yeah. If, yeah, you want you to give her, mm -hmm. if you want to give her something quick and dirty, there is uh, one chapter of my first book dedicated to Russian cosmism. Okay, cool. Yeah. The chapter is the, one, is the one called Knocking on Heaven's Door. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, awesome. And have you ever uh, discussed uh, cosmic philosophy with her? Uh, not much. No, not really. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting to have had reaction. Because what I understand is that, uh, I mean, even we read it in uh, translation and also filtered uh, through comments by Western people like us. But uh, I understand it's a very rational thing. At least some of the cosmists themselves emphasized that uh, cosmism uh, is very Russian and perhaps uh, not uh, coming from a Russian cultural background. We don't understand Fyodorov or Berdyaev or others mm -hmm. very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can, can you like take a moment to just explain like kind of what it means just generally? Uh, yes, of course, but what I can explain is not a replacement for uh, reading what uh, yeah. people more knowledgeable have to say. Of I'll course, say yes. that Russian cosmism is a philosophical and also religious school that uh, started in Russia at, uh, between the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, it's a very diverse stream of thought. There were uh, many cosmists and they didn't all say exactly the same thing. The man who is usually considered as uh, the main representative of cosmism is Nikolai Fyodorov. Uh, somebody who, um, I think he died uh, in the 1910s, so more than 100 years ago. He did uh, not publish anything of substance himself. As a matter of fact, his works were uh, mostly published by his followers after his death. But uh, uh, nonetheless, he managed to make uh, a very big impression on people like uh, Tolstoy 
intelligence of Russian culture. Now, what did he say? He said a lot of things, like for example, that uh, we should uh, take uh, complete control of the Earth and uh, moving to space. But uh, among the many things that he said, the most uh, interesting and disruptive, I think, is that he believed that uh, Christian concepts like the resurrection of the dead will come to pass through science mm -hmm. and technology. Yeah which means that it is our own descendants sometime in the future that uh, will do something, and he didn't know what, of course, to resurrect the dead of the past. And that was, uh, I mean, an extremely innovative and ambitious concept. I mean, we are uh, just beginning to think seriously about these things now. Yeah. But he was persuaded that future humans would find a way to resurrect the dead, to resurrect anyone who ever lived in the past. So it's not the same thing like, uh, you know, we think uh, cryonics, we think of mind uploading, but that's not resurrection because uh, it can only apply to those people who have done something to preserve themselves for the future. But Fyodorov's idea of resurrection is for everyone, everyone who ever died in human history, like now, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, could be resurrected by a future science so advanced to be able to somehow reach back into the past and fish this person back from the past. Now, when you read the, of exactly oh. how Fyodorov thought that uh, future scientists would be able to do these things, mm, you find ideas that seem very naive to us. Now, for example, he imagined that, uh, you know, well, okay, uh, a person is made of uh, particles molecules and atoms. You just have to find all these uh, particles and put them together to reconstruct the original human. Now, seen from the knowledge that we have today, well, first, this wouldn't work. Second, um, it would be just impossible. And uh, it also looks very naive based on uh, science, which is uh, very much uh, out of date. It is the science of 150 years ago. Now, of course, we do have our ideas about how technological resurrection could work. I do have my ideas. And I have been thinking about these things a lot. And I think I can see in uh, contemporary science, perhaps not a guide, not a how-to, but at least some indications of uh, the kind of science upon which future resurrection technology could be based. And in fact, much of my book is about that. But, you know, I don't really have any illusion. If I find naive 
what Theodorov wrote 120 years ago, then I'm 100% sure that when someone, if someone will read what I'm writing now in 120 years, I'm sure they will find it equally naive. Yeah. And those who come after that will find Which would be the good. idea of our future scientists also naive. Because, um, I mean, I don't think we are really talking about science that could be developed now or in the next century or in the next yeah. few centuries. I think it will take much longer than that. But the fact that it takes much longer than that doesn't really matter for us. I mean, it could take millions of years. But what happens from your personal, subjective point of view? It happens that uh, you close your eyes now and you open your eyes again. It may mm -hmm. be that you open your eyes after uh, one million years, but from your right. point of view, no time has passed. Yeah. It really doesn't happen that much. I think uh, future humans will develop resurrection technology. Uh, I think it will take a very long time, but I think how long it takes uh, doesn't matter uh, from our perspective. And uh, in summary, I think everyone will be resurrected by means and by works of future science and technology. Now, coming back to Fyodorov, one other very important dimension of uh, Russian cosmism and of Fyodorov himself was his association with uh, the father of the Russian space uh, program, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky. Now, the story says that Tsiolkovsky uh, met Fyodorov when Tsiolkovsky uh, was very young. He was a teenager who went to study in the library in Moscow where Fyodorov worked. And uh, the two of them developed a relationship. And uh, Tsiolkovsky always recognized Fyodorov as his mentor. And after that, Tsiolkovsky went on uh, to become the father of Russian astronautics and uh, the man who is inspired the founders of the Russian space uh, program of the 60s and the 70s. You don't remember that, but you know at that time, of it was very much an open question who would land on the moon first, the Americans or the Russians. Cool. Just like now uh, with the US and Chinese. Mm -hmm. So it, the Russian space program has been important. I hope it will be important again, but uh, it has been very important in the past. And it can be directly traced back to the philosophy of Russian cosmism. Now, there is a film about just that, about the impact of uh, Russian cosmism on uh, the Russian space uh, program. The film is done by a filmmaker I know. His name is George Carey, 
and the title of the film is Knocking on Heaven's Door, just like uh, the chapter in my book. In fact, uh, you have all the links in my book, but you, if you just search Knocking on Heaven's Door on either YouTube mm -hmm. or Vimeo, I guess you find it. Otherwise, just uh, drop me a note and I would send you a link where you can download it. It's a good film. Yeah, perhaps you could start by showing that to your wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. There is, uh, There are very inspiring uh, conversations with uh, contemporary followers of Russian cosmism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I recommend. Show the film to your wife first. And then oh. and if she doesn't like, if she's not interested, well, there is nothing that you can do. But if she does mm -hmm. like it, she will <laughs> that's have... True. If, she if she does like it, she will have all the keywords to do her own search for something to read. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I want to... It must be maybe two years ago. Um, I I read that some somebody well was was sad because uh, I think a a friend or a relative of him died recently, and uh, and I wrote to him and explained the the basic theory. Of of cosmism, and and for him this was I I forgot about but but it it helped it helped him a lot. It, I it was comforting. I yes, think that's comforting. Yes, um, some people would not want to hear this, but. But I, I'm glad I, I told him. Yes, I remember. Uh, you know, I have received a lot of uh, comments about my books, but there is one that uh, I will always remember. It's somebody who said exactly the same things. Somebody who said, "I'm very sad. I am paralyzed. I am destroyed because someone I love died." But uh, reading your book, I was not happy, of course, but a little bit happier, a little bit more hopeful. And you know, that's uh, that kind of comment really repays you of all the house that uh, you have mm. used the writing something. I do, do feel it to receive that kind of comments. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really interesting because um, in my journey, um, so I, I kind of have a little bit of a transhumanist perspective, whatever that means, uh, in the sense that like I'm interested in cryonics and that I'm interested in longevity and in pretty much sustaining like energy and preserving life for as long as possible, you know, by like, you know, those means. Um, and so when I, 
have told this to some people or just had a conversation about life and about death. Um, some people have said, well, for this reason or that reason, because of my religious beliefs, I, I would like to die and then go to the afterlife, go to whatever my version is of heaven, right? And this used to like make me um, <clears throat> like a little bit sad, like, oh, okay, like I kind of want to continue my life here, right, in this 4D space that I know, but they might not continue that journey with me. Not that I, not that it's a sure thing that I will, or likely I won't. Who knows? I still have hope. But um, but once I kind of thought about these ideas, um, then I thought, well, yeah, maybe they will be preserved in some way in the future by some advanced future civilization or or some kind of weird mystery about the universe. Um, maybe in something involving other dimensions or something that I don't understand. And so now I don't feel as sad about whatever choice people make. Um, and, uh, you know, there are so many possibilities yeah. that uh, contemporary science is compatible with that, uh, you know, you only have the embarrassment of choice. There are... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> many theories. That's great. There are many theories of uh, what kind of afterlife when I have. Mm, some of these theories also say that yes, you will uh, live again, and you will be with the people that you love here and now. The simplest theory of this kind. There is a film. You can, uh, I hope it's still on Netflix. It's called The Discovery. And uh, it's uh, starring Robert Redford. And I think maybe Robert Redford is also the producer. Just look for The Discovery. You find it also on Wikipedia. It was on Netflix a couple of years ago. Perhaps it's still there now. Now, what's uh, the theory? of resurrection that uh, the film hints at is that uh, you go back to another version of your life one very close to the life that you are living now and when you get uh, the chance to correct some mistakes that you have done in this life this would be a variant of Hugh Everett's interpretation of quantum mechanics or something like that. But you know, the film doesn't go, in, uh, doesn't go into that kind of detail. It just hints at the concept that um, your life is not just one timeline, but one of many timelines. And after that, you just find yourself in one of the other timelines. And perhaps you can do something to make something better. Now, this specific concept of afterlife uh, also implies that, uh, you know, in the vast majority of your alternative life streams, you will still be with the people you love here and now. And perhaps you will make them happier then uh, it has been the case in this life. 
Now, I do find this theory after life very emotionally appealing, and I'm quite happy to see that, uh, you know, there are some uh, recent writings in science and philosophy that point to exactly this same concept. But then again, there are so many ideas of uh, afterlife and or reincarnation and or resurrection that are uh, entirely compatible with science. You can really take your pick and you can choose the one that you find more emotionally appealing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, is it, I, I thought of the same thing by yesterday or the day before. Mm, well, you I, I thought maybe if it is a simulation, it might not matter uh, if the because what you what you experienced before it uh, does not um, has no consequences for for your future so, or if some uh, something so happens you don't I like don't, uh... I'm not sure I have understood uh, the point you're making. Could you say that again? That that if you live uh, through a simulation of your life and you change something, then it is the same as if you did, did actually travel in time because uh, because you you had this changed experience and even if you come back to to your your real uh, world you will feel better yeah. yes i think so and uh, this is one of the points uh, that uh, you know if you look at my website huh, you'll find a podcast with uh, someone called Rizvan Virk, V-I-R-K. He has written uh, two books. One is called The Simulation Hypothesis, and one is called The Simulated Multiverse. I do very highly recommend both books. And, uh, and just, just uh, listen to our conversation and uh, read the email exchange. He has uh, similar ideas, in fact. For example, the fact that, that uh, in the context of a simulation cosmology, time travel really means uh, rewinding the flow of the simulation until a certain point uh, in the past. But uh, his uh, second book is even more interesting than that, because that, once again, we have this concept of many parallel uh, live streams. Maybe I will really read them. Too. They're very, they're two very, yes. very good books. 
because I, I try to read an hour a day. It, it read books for an hour a day. Not not just anything. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, for me, um, like, so I kind of want to keep the part going here in, in this life as I know it, even if it is a simulation through longevity or through cryonics or th thinking or something like that. Um, but on the other hand, like, uh, like if this, like, Derek dies, this version of Derek dies, which I think is the original, original, um, you know, right. Um, then like I may live on in another like state, like philosophically, like my consciousness or that information about me or the essence of who I am, uh, something like that. Or like, so by like another future uh, civilization could uh, resurrect me, something like that. That'd be interesting. Um, but then on the other hand, like this could be a simulation. And I think uh, that if I, if I die, right, uh, then it might be like taking off the VR like goggles. And then I might say like, wow, that was really trippy. Uh, well, uh, really... This uh, is exactly what uh, Reis Virk says in the second book that I just mentioned. Yeah, but, so this uh, might be like the human simu simulation, like simulation of what it means to be human, but who knows, like my form or my consciousness, or if I'm even this kind of biological outside of the simulation. I have no, I can't have any idea of that. I should, uh, things that, you know, the... Simulation cosmology is uh, essentially, absolutely, and completely equivalent to religion, to a traditional religion like Christianity, because uh, you know we use uh, they use different words, but uh, you can translate one to the other without losing any meaning. So there is a complete one-to-one -one map from simulation cosmology to Christianity and back. So that you can say about simulation cosmology exactly the same things that theologians have been saying about these things for centuries. The thing is that, yes, okay, we know, uh, uh, we will find conditions in the afterlife that we would not be able to understand. You know, in Christian theology, it's impossible to understand God. God is unknowable, but the unknowable God has an aspect that would be Jesus, the Son, who is able to relate uh, to us. Uh, is uh, if you want to put it like that, our interface with God, and uh, you can say exactly the same things within a simulation cosmology, if you make the assumption that the simulators are uh, benevolent and in some way have uh, your happiness in mind, so that, uh, you know, things that uh, have been uh, told to Christian believers for centuries when they go to church, which is that, well, okay, 
These are very complicated things. You would not be able to understand. Nobody is able to understand God. Nobody is able to understand afterlife and all that. Don't think too much about uh, these things that you could not understand. Only think that God is benevolent and has your salvation in mind if you collaborate a little bit. This is what Christianity has always said. And you can say exactly the same things in a simulation cosmology, exactly the same. Right. I'm afraid yeah. that I'll have to um, I'll have to go in five minutes. Huh? Yeah. But, well, yeah. I so just say, like yeah. So just yeah, to tag so. on. Yeah, it's really awesome. Great to hear from everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, these these topics are really meaningful and uh, and a lot of fun to talk about for sure. I'll have to go. I will. Uh, I hope uh, to see you both next time soon, and to continue this conversation. Bye, Derek. Bye, Thomas. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. Ciao.